Can you hear me now? You remember the Verizon guy? He was doing that. <laughs> you know, I'm grateful uh, for the truths of that song this morning. Um, today, uh, I believe it'll be a challenging day. It was a challenging time for me as, uh, as I leaned into the Word of God this week and as the Spirit of God spoke to my heart. And I'm so grateful for a song like this that leads into that time that that really just presents to us a truth, right? That it's not us, but Christ in us, that the life of a Jesus follower, and we like to say this often, right? That the life of a Jesus follower is not us living for Jesus, but Jesus living his life in and through us. The apostle Paul said it this way in Galatians 2.20. He said, I've been crucified with Christ, yet it is no longer I who live, but I live, right? But Christ lives in me and, and the faith that we have, right? That we, that we see, in our lives. He said, he said that Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's a beautiful song to enter into this time together. Uh, this weekend has been a weekend where uh, Grant and I were uh, on our own. Um, some of you are surprised. I don't even know if my, my stuff matches. I asked Grant because like my wife wasn't there. She always uh, kind of helps me with all those things. And uh, so Sherry and Hope were away. And so on days like that, we call them man days. That's what we call them when we're uh, leaning in that way. And, and yesterday morning, I had a lot of things to do. And so I was going to get Grant up and uh, just kind of slipped in beside him. And my little boy, uh, Grant is uh, on the second row over there, but Grant is going to be 13 years old in October. And I'm thinking to myself, like, how in the world, how that happened? You know, like time just gets away so quickly. So I, you know, at 13, our kids are maybe not quite as cuddly as they used to be when they were little, you know, and so he's sleeping and I kind of slip in. But, but for us parents, like, it don't matter how old they get, like, we still come here, you know. And, and so I slipped in there, and I kind of snuggled up by him and woke him up. And, you know, no real crazy spiritual moments or anything like that, just kind of ordinary dynamics. But we're kind of getting things going, and I'm talking to him, and I'm asking him, like, hey, what are we going to do today? Let's kind of get the day in order. And so we're, we're talking back and forth and just kind of connecting on uh, those uh, dots along the way and I'm cuddled up close to him and he's trying to pull away a little bit. And I said, well, before we get started, I said, let's put on the snuggle timer. I said, I think that'll be good. So, so I said, hey, Siri, um, two minute timer. So in that moment, uh, Grant's kind of dealing with that, you know, and I, and in that moment, he kind of embraces that and he kind of snuggles in a little closer, you know, and our timer goes off. And I said, you know, before we get up, let's, Let's, let's pray together, and I thank God for him, and just ask for God's blessing on the day, and then we got up, and it's time for a little breakfast, so we made man waffles, right? We got a whole, we got a whole group at the men's retreat this morning. They probably had man waffles as well, praying for those guys, and uh, just excited to hear how God works, but we're, we're getting our man waffles out, and Grant, it's his turn to pray, so he bows his head, and he said, God, I thank you for man day. <laughs> so that's right. But you know, the Spirit of God really just spoke to me in some of those moments, and I was thinking about the timer, and we were cuddled up, and I was reminded just really strongly that, you know, time's running out. Like, I've just got a few more years 
with my son. My daughter turned 16 in July. Her friends that she's been growing up with, already some of them have turned 16. Some of them are close to that. I'm thinking, how in the world does time go so quickly? And I want to remind you this morning as we, we're going to be opening up God's word to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Those of you that are guests with us this morning, we're so grateful uh, that you're here. Uh, We'd love to connect with you and just hear a little bit about uh, you and your family. We won't show up and do anything weird uh, along the way, but we'd love just to send you some information, send you a gift. Uh, If you have one of our our handouts, uh, you can uh, fill out that little connect card and drop that off at the table as you leave, and we'll give you uh, some of those, uh, those things and just connect a bit. But we're walking through kind of this, this big narrative of Scripture, and we're going uh, on a journey together. And through the week, as Paul Harvey used to say, you get the rest of the story as you read the reading plan. So I want to encourage you to, to jump into that. You'll see copies of that uh, at the exit. You'll also be able to find that information at cowie.church forward slash disciples, so you can pull into that. But last week, we, we were in uh, a spot in Numbers, and we saw this uh, this, this moment, right, that was critical for the children of Israel. There was this moment where uh, they were at the promised land, right, and they uh, send the spies in. And those of you that were here last week remember uh, how that looked, right? There were two of the spies that came back and said, you know, the giants are big, the fruit's really big, the people in the land, all that, but our God is so big, right? Joshua and Caleb, and we're going to see in the book of Deuteronomy that they're the only two of that generation, right, that are going to enter into the promised land. The others, uh, those that did not enter into the promised land, the scripture says that they did not enter into the promised land because of unbelief. And so we had these 10 spies that go in and they look at the land and, and we kind of joked about it. We, you know, they came back like Bigfoot's in there. They got all the, they're talking about all these things, right? And they're scared to death. And they say, there's no way that we can take the land. They said, we saw those giants, right? We were, we were grasshoppers in our own sight. So we can't, we came that way in their sight. And they said, we can't make it. And so they wander around in the wilderness, right? For 40 years. Now, if you're in, in Deuteronomy chapter one, you're, you're going to see, and, and you can look in just the very beginning part of that, that chapter, you'll see it was only an 11 day journey from Mount Sinai to the promises. So, so here they go. They go on this crazy journey because of their unbelief. Now, we're going to look at a passage today in in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which I believe is really the the central chapter in the book of Deuteronomy, maybe the the central chapter in all the books of the law. And and what we're seeing in this chapter is that Moses is writing and Moses is speaking. He's given these three really farewell speeches to uh, this new generation, right? We're going to see some of that today. In this book, Deuteronomy, uh, we see that in this moment, right, time is short for Moses. And Moses has to communicate uh, some things very quickly. And and the the word Deuteronomy just means repeated law or second law. So he's sharing these things again. These are things that as we've read through that we've seen uh, throughout. And, And here we see him speaking these to a new generation, right? And what had happened to the old generation? Yeah, they had died, right, in the wilderness. And, and if you really look at the numbers of those that had died in the wilderness, this is astronomical. It would have been, uh, I've seen figures where people have guesstimated that it would have been, and we don't know how they died exactly and all the time and all that, but it would have been like 70 or 80 funerals a day, right? Like there's people dying 
in the midst of the wilderness, and they lack the faith to enter in. So there's this generation that's born in the wilderness, right? And some of you young people, you may feel like that's you, right? A generation that's just been born into the midst of a crazy, broken world, right? In the midst of a wilderness. Maybe some of you as parents, you're saying, you know what? I feel like my kids are born in that kind of moment, right? And here he's going uh, to speak to them, right? They're, they're at Moab. They're about to cross the Jordan. They're, they're going to enter into the promised land. And this is our last week in the series promised land. And next week, we're going to pick up in the book of Joshua, and we're going to begin a new series. Uh, Super excited about it. It's going to be called Against All Odds. And we're going to look as we lean toward Easter and as we look at them going in to take the land, that we're going to see that we may live in a world where everything seems like it's stacked against us, where raising children to follow Jesus, that it looks like the odds are stacked against us. We're going to look today at God's call for us as followers of Jesus Christ to pass our faith down down uh, to the next generation. If we're to title today, it's called Passing It Down. And and so we're going to see this reality, right, of what God has called us to do as followers of Jesus Christ. Now in Deuteronomy, he he re, uh, really reconfirms their heritage. He talks about the things that God has done for them, right? They wander all through the wilderness and the scripture says they didn't lack for nothing, right? God had provided all these things, but we see uh, chapter one recounts like their unbelief. There, there's moments of all those kind of things, but he's readying this new generation to go in and take the land. Now, as we look in to Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to see maybe the most famous verse in, uh, in Deuteronomy. Uh, we're going to be looking at a passage. Now, when we think of the Great Commission, we think of Jesus' words in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, where Jesus said, here's your marching orders, church. You're to go into all the world. Now, we like to call it the Great Commission, right? But it'd be better called the Great Commandment. I just think we feel more comfortable being disobedient when we call it something else, right? But Jesus said, this is your job. This is who you are as my disciples, and this is what you have been called to do, and it's to go into all the world and make disciples. And he said, you're going to baptize them and teach them to do whatsoever I've commanded you. And he says, in those moments, you're going to find out that, lo, I'm going to be with you always, even until the end of the age. Now, we're going to see in this passage the Great Commission before the Great Commission. He's reminding them, hey, this is what God has done, and this is where you're going. And, and this is where we want to be as a church this morning. We want to remember what God has done. And I want to encourage us, like over the next two weeks, uh, we're going to be sharing kind of where we've been, what God has been doing, and where we are going, especially when it comes to this critical topic of what it looks like to see a generation love and follow Jesus, to see a church embrace this call that we have to make disciples of the next generation, to pass our faith to the next generation. And the first thing I want you to see as we open up God's word today, we're going to be again in Deuteronomy 6. We'll go through uh, as far as we can get really in that chapter this morning. But the first thing I want you to see is that God's people are distinctive. So when you look at what God is going to share through Moses to this generation that's fixing to enter into the promised land. He's going to say, this is how you live when you're there. And here's what I want you to understand. You're going to be different, right? And parents, this is something that our children need to understand, right? That as we walk in the midst of this crazy world, that we've been called to be set apart, that we are to stand out, that we are a distinctive people, that God's people, when we honor his word, and when we say, you know what, this is what God's word says, we're going to look different than the people that are in 
the land. And God's going to use that difference to be a witness and to be a gospel presence. And he's going to do incredible things. Verse 1, he says this, now this is the commandment. The statutes and the judgments with, with which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. So Moses says, God has commanded me to teach you. And the reason that he's commanded me to teach you is not so you could just let it go in one ear and out the other. But, but the reason that I'm teaching you is that so you would do this right in the land where you're going to possess it. And so one of the things that I want to encourage every person in this room to do today is to embrace the responsibility. Moses said, this is what I've been commanded to teach. And then he's going to give instructions to the people that are there on what this is going to look like. And, and I'm going to encourage you to embrace the responsibility that God has given us as a church, that God has given us as parents. I want you to embrace the responsibility. God says he's commanded, Moses says, the Lord has commanded me to teach that you might do. And here's the truth that we see throughout the entirety of scripture. Every single believer is called to a discipleship lifestyle. Every single believer is called to live a discipleship lifestyle, to be discipled and to make disciples. Now you say, what is discipleship, right? And you can have all kinds of definitions, but a very simple one is this. Discipleship is helping people to trust and follow Jesus, right? To be obedient to his command. You know, and I think about this journey that I've been in. I think about my son. I think about the emotion that I was feeling as I was holding him close yesterday. And the spirit of God said, man, time is short. Right? You only have a little while with him. You only have a short time. And I thought, you know, this season that I've been in, it's been very easy for me to say, you know what, I've got these assignments due in school and I've got these things that are going on. And it's been very easy for life to be busy, right? For us to be in a spot as a family where some of the most important things can be crowded out by good things that are urgent, right? We you know, Stephen Covey wrote the uh, book that talked a lot about the important things versus the urgent things. And there's principles in there that says you'll never, you know, accomplish the important things if you allow the urgent things of life to crowd out those things that are most important. And so there's a lot of things that as I'm thinking about this, I, I recognize that there's a, a challenge that I've had over these few years, right? And, and I'm thinking, there's always a season where things are going to get a little easier and things are going to get a little better. And maybe I can do a better job of that. But here's the thing that stood out in my mind. The reality is that I could succeed at a lot of things, that I could accomplish a lot of things. But if I fail to disciple my kids, that I miss the main thing, that I miss the, the, the greatest maybe responsibility that God has given to me. And here's another truth. The church can succeed in a lot of things. We can accomplish a lot of things. We can do a lot of things. But the reality is that we have been called to make disciples. From the very beginning, when God uh, put Adam and Eve on this earth, he said, you have a job. And he said, your job is to be fruitful and to multiply. And there was this reality. See, it wasn't just simply making babies, right? That was part of it. But there was a reality that they were multiplying this godly legacy, that they were multiplying worshipers, right? That these, these people that they would worship, 
worship God, that, that they would spend time with him, that they would live in relationship with him, and they would be fruitful, and they would multiply this godly legacy, right? We read of Matthew's words in Matthew, of, of Jesus's words in Matthew 28. If we were to go back and look at Jesus's first call for his disciples, we would see that that same call, it doesn't change. We're going to see in, in Deuteronomy 6 that this call to make disciples, it is at the core of who God's people are to be. And so here they are in, in Jesus's call for his disciples. He said, follow me. And he said, you guys have been fishermen. You guys have been uh, people that understand that. But he said, if you'll follow me, he said, there's going to be something that happens in your life. He said, there's going to be a work of transformation that takes place in your life. And, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to be disciple makers. You're going to be my disciples. And through that transformation, you're going to be disciple makers. And we have a call to pass down our faith to the next generation. You know, this week as a church, our church turned 194 years old this week. 194 years old of faithfulness to think that, that this church has been in the midst of Cowie Valley. And, and I think about Humphrey Posey and Stephen White and, and their uh, sensing and obedience to the call of God to plant a church in an area where they said the fields were, were fertile for cultivation. And, and I think about what God was doing in that, right? And I'm thinking God is doing something bigger than they could have ever imagined. And there's a sense, right, as a church that I recognize that we are in a church that's been here 194 years because of God's faithfulness. Amen. Because of God's faithfulness. And there's been an understanding that there has to be a faith that's passed down to the next generation. But I want you to understand that if every one of us is not doing it, we're not getting it right. And we're not doing all that God has commanded us to do. And, and while God has been faithful and while he is blessed, the reality is that success in our church is not the number of people necessarily that come and gather in this place. Success for me as a pastor is not necessarily in the gifting that I might have to preach, right? But most importantly, first and foremost, in how I model what it looks like to follow Jesus to my family and to those people that are entrusted in my care. And here's the truth, being a disciple maker is at the heart of every Jesus follower. We are to be disciples and success, right, sometimes has been defined for church people that we might show up and that we might figure out how to serve somewhere when Jesus has called us unequivocally and unapologetically to be people that will make disciples where he's called us as families and parents to be pouring in to the next generation, to be pouring into our kids first, right? That's what discipleship for parents begins with. It is training and teaching our kids to trust and follow Jesus. Now, we know uh, that, that we can't impart salvation to them, right? That salvation is a work of God, right? In the power of the Spirit of God as we proclaim the Word of God. But we know that faith comes by hearing, right? And hearing by the Word of God. And so we have a responsibility to repeat and to share and to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And I want you to understand that this call that we have, it is a personal responsibility for every one of us. Verse 2, Deuteronomy 6, he says that there's a reason you're going to, I'm going to teach you these things that so you might do them so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. So, so there's this so that. And the, so that first begins with you personally, so that you will fear the Lord, so that you might fear the Lord your God, and that you might keep all his statutes, but then also it works generationally, right? He says, so that you might fear the Lord, grandparents that are out there, he says, you might fear the Lord and your children 
and your grandchildren, that there might be a legacy of faith that occurs from the faithfulness of God as we walk by faith in obedience to his plan. Now, as we read the Old Testament, right, we see tremendous focus on the majesty and the holiness of God. And there's a, a great indicator of the reason that we should fear God. But I want you to understand the fear of the Lord is not a paralyzing fear. It is a freeing fear, right? It is a, not a, a fear that is filled with terror, right? In Proverbs 14, 27, the scripture says that the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that one may avoid the snares of death, right? It's a fountain of life. It is life-giving. And we trust his salvation, and, it, and we fear the Lord, right? We trust his salvation. We recognize his judgment because in Jesus Christ, we see both judge and savior. And he said, if you fear God, you'll keep his commandments. Jesus gives us this picture of this holy love that God has, right? That is judge and savior. And then Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so there's this fear of God. There's this recognition of his goodness. And in that, when we respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we respond in surrender. And this surrender to follow Christ, right? We, we see that that is a surrender to obedience, not just in that moment as we turn from our sins, but it is a call to follow Jesus for all of our lives. It is a call to surrender and obedience we're distinctive. We're different. Our kids need to understand that we're different. We're not different for the sake of being different. We're not offensive for the sake of being offensive. But we understand that there are things that when we stand on the word of God in the world that we live in, there are going to be moments that we're not accepted. There are going to be moments of persecution. There are going to be moments of difficulty. But there's this reality that we fear God and we don't fear men. Right, Because when we fear God, we fear nothing. As, uh, as Oswald Chambers said, we had that quote last week, right? When we, a healthy fear of God, we fear nothing else. But if we don't fear God, we're afraid of everything else. And we're tossed to and from by everything that goes on, right? And, and we're, but when we have an accurate view of God, and that's our role as parents and as a church, that we might, we might teach and declare the goodness of our God, and that we might paint an accurate view of who he is. And when we do that, we desire then to walk in his ways, and we're not so concerned about what everybody else is thinking. See, when, when we look in God's design, there were no compartments with Adam and Eve. There wasn't this sacred and secular there wasn't this moment where they worshiped and were obedient to God. Uh, it, it was a, all of life, right? And, and, and the gospel brings that back in, right? And, and discipleship brings that back in, right? There are no compartments in our life. Right? We don't come to church on Sunday morning, right? Our Saturday night should match our Sunday morning. If it doesn't, there are, there are flaws. You need to examine yourself and, and, and really just see, am I really in the faith? If I'm living one way outside of this building and a different way when I'm in this building, and as parents, you know, I want my kids to follow Jesus, but I also want them to be comfortable, and I also want them to be popular, and I also want them to do all those things. And what we see in the Word of God is that we can't have all those things at once all the time, but what we can have is people who have so 
sold out and surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, he said, all those, every one of them, he said, not just a few of them, he said, all those who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You will face those kind of things. Those things will be a reality in life. And we teach our kids, listen, we're following Jesus. We're not home yet. We live in the midst of a broken world. And as we live and follow Jesus in obedience in the midst of a broken world, we are light in the midst of darkness. And God uses that as we live for him in obedience. Look at verse three. He said, oh, Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Last week, bad math. Last week, bad math. That was, that was kind of the, the whole deal, right? Bad math, what does bad math do? It leaves God what? Out of the equation, right? When that's bad math. And so the, the spies had bad math and they looked, they left God out of the uh, equation. They were fearful. But here's what good math is. Pastor Chris, we were talking about this passage and as we read through that verse, he said, now that's good math right there. And what we see is that good math is multiplication. That's what we see in the economy of God, right? That good math is multiplication. Now Satan wants to divide. He wants to isolate us. That's Satan's math. You can tell your teachers that tomorrow, that, that division is Satan's math. You don't do it no more. Forget it. It's bad. You can face the consequences of that. We're distinctive. We're different, right? Only multiplication. But discipleship is the math that God has called us to. It is multiplication of a godly legacy through the next generation, not simply only in parent-child relationships, maybe beginning in those relationships, but called in the midst of all relationships as people who are part of the family of God. 2 Timothy 2, my favorite verses about discipleship. Paul wrote to young Timothy and he says, you therefore be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He said, hey, this ain't going to be easy. Everything you're doing is not going to be easy. He wrote to him and said, hey, there, you're going to face uh, tribulations. You're going to face difficulty. He compared life to that of a good soldier, right? We see all those kind of places. But he says, listen, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And then he says, these things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. He said, here's what you are to do with those things. You entrust those to faithful men who will teach others also. So there's this picture of multiplication that we are to instill and invest. We are to make disciples. We are to be disciples. And then we are to invest in other people and to teach them as well. So God has called us, right, to good math, God's math, gospel math, right? This is gospel core, not common core. This is gospel core math. And, and it's multiplication according to the plan of God. And, and we can you know, we, I, heard, I used to hear a preacher say, you can like it, lump it, bump it, or jump it. I really don't care. That's what he said. I can remember that. It just popped in my head. But here, here it is. You can say that. I, I, I didn't write the mail, right? God, God has declared this is not optional. These are things that we, we don't have the ability to say, you know what? I'm going to disobey this and, and, and still feel like I'm just following exactly along like I'm supposed to because I showed up um, at, at an event or I did this or that. Right? It's not how it works. And, and here's where where Moses really leaned in. In verse four, 
is uh, the beginning of the Shema. It's the word uh, in Hebrew for hear. And so they, they call it this. It's the most popular and most, most important verse to the Jews. This was an incredible passage as it goes in. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Right? It's called the Shema. And here we are. Here's this hero Israel. Now, Jesus, and you're familiar with this verse, right? And Jesus would call this the greatest commandment. Matthew uh, chapter uh, 22, uh, we would read these words beginning in verse 37, right? He's, so, so here's, we'll go back a little further. Verse 35, one of them, a lawyer asked him a question, testing him and said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And so here we are in the midst of this passage, the greatest commandment in the law. Jesus is going to quote uh, this verse in verse 37. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost command. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said, on these two commandments rests and hangs all the law and the prophets, right? Everything depends on these two. The Lord is our God, and the Lord is one. Yahweh is the only God, not just for Israel, but for all people. Commentator Chris Wright said this, Our text is asserting quite distinctively from the surrounding polytheistic religions that Yahweh is God. Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one God. He is a singular God with his own integrity, character, will, and purpose. One God with whom we are to worship. And then he says, you love him with everything, right? The heart was the, was the organ of the wheel, right? It was this, uh, it was where you made decisions. It was where you made choices. It was that kind of picture. The soul re referred to the inner person, right? The, the person that you knew yourself to be. This thought of, of all your strength, right? It's this thing with just everything, with all means that you have, with all that you are. And, and right, when we see this passage, we see that rightly we view God in his greatness and we could never love him enough. Like we should never, we never are going to get home and at bedtime we're going to go, you know what? I love God enough today. Like he, I, he was worthy of love and I gave him all the love that he was worthy of, right? We're going to look and say, man, I need to love God with everything in me. God's people, they're distinctive. They stand out. Kids need to understand that. It's not going to be easy, but God's people are disciple makers. That's the second thing. Look at verse six. He says, these words, which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. He was saying, listen, your religion is not simply for the tabernacle, but it's also for your tent when you get home. It's not simply for the church house, but it is for your house. There is no sacred and secular divide. And here's the truth. The family would be the primary place that modeling, following God, that, that making disciples would take place. It was expected that conversations around the word of God would be the norm and not the exception. See, what we are tasked with in the midst of a crazy world is to impart a Christian worldview to the next generation. We are to teach them diligently. And that word, it's a translation of a single word that just simply means uh, repeat, right? There, there's this reality that we are to pour into them, that we are to continue to teach them diligently, 
these things. And so I want to make a statement about discipleship uh, that we'll look at as we continue in this passage. But discipleship is ordinary. Sometimes we're looking for things to be like really, you know, crazy. And we have every moment is going to be some magic moment where the heavens open, right? And the veil's torn from the top to the bottom. And we're experiencing all those kind of things. We, we want those kind of moments. And we may experience some of that. But discipleship is ordinary. It's ordered. It's organic. And it's an act of obedience to our Lord. It's ordinary. If you look in that passage, he said, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, it is ordinary times in our life that disciples are best made. And there's this picture here that as parents, that we are engaging with family in just these ordinary ways. When you sit down, right? For us, that might be mealtime. That might be a time where we say, hey, we're going to gather around a table and we're going to talk about the word of God. We're going to pray together. We're going to have conversations around things. It might be in your drive time, right? When you walk by the way, we don't walk by the way very much, but we drive all the time and we spend tremendous amounts of time in a car. And the easy thing to do is to give our kids a device and to turn on a movie or for them to go immediately to that, right? But, but we have opportunities, right? Captive audiences in those moments. And we're to redeem the time that God has given us, right? Ephesians says this, that, that we're to walk circumspectly, right? Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. How in the world are my kids almost grown? How are the world, are some of your kids already grown? How in the world does time go so quickly? And we've got to make the most of these moments. So as we drive, you know, we, we, we'll quote verses on the way to school. We'll pray together. Don't close your eyes. Unless you got more faith than you should. And so, like, you know, he gave us some sense too. But take advantage of those moments, right? When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, bedtime, morning time, all these times, right? Listen, family discipleship time is not something that's crazy. It's something that's ordinary and it ought to be an overflow. He said that you might obey these things, that you might learn those things, and then that your children and your grandchildren, listen, it ought to be an overflow of what God is doing in our lives. We can't pour from an empty well. We can't pour from an empty bucket, and, and it's time we've got to embrace this call and this responsibility to be disciples that will pour in to the next generation, and the only way that we'll do that is if we're engaging in the Word of God and that we're living out of an overflow of personal time with God, and some of us just need to say, you know what? Uh, some, some of us need to say, I'm going to begin that today, because here's the thing, immediately we need to make some changes when it comes to that. And it's organic, right? It's not only ordinary, but it's organic. And when you say organic, like you think about food, like your bananas and your chicken, all that organic doesn't mean that there's no intentionality or that there's no, uh, there, there's nothing in there, right? It's, it's also orderly. We think about it, we're looking for it, but it's organic, right? When you get organic chicken at the store, they didn't go get that out of the woods. Like it wasn't, it wasn't just like your bananas. They went and found an organic banana. Oh, it's natural. It's grown on the Appalachian Trail. And they, no, no, that's not, that's not how it happened, right? It was very intentional. There was a farm that raised. There were all those things that were there. But when we are organically pouring into our families, we are looking for opportunities that as things happen around us, as things that are there, and there's an intentionality about our life, right, that is organic in those places, right? But that's intentional, Every day. Verse 8, he says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. Now, now, 
the, the Jews, many of them would take this command uh, very, very seriously, and they would write these, uh, uh, these verses, right, on little scrolls, and they would place them in boxes called phylacteries, and, and Jesus would even uh, call out, right, those uh, Pharisees who had enlarged their phylacteries, right, in, in Matthew 23. Uh, they, they, had, they had to have bigger ones, right, so they could show off because we had so much that we had in front of us, right? But I'm not sure that's what God was desiring, but what he was desiring is that the word of God would be the one thing that motivates our whole life, that is in front of us, that is stretching us, that it would be hidden in our heart, that that the word of God and the worship of God would be central to the lives of the people of God. God's math is very simple. The way that it works is very simple. And then verse 10, he says, here's what's going to happen. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. Then watch yourself. He said, listen, be careful. Be careful when you get in there and everything's comfortable. Be careful when all the things at your house seem to be going just right. Be careful when you get in that land and God has provided you everything. I I love to quote the great theologian Robert Smith, my dad, when he used to say, as we'd look down in the hog lots, we'd raising hogs and we'd slop the hogs. And it's one of the things that's always stuck with me, right? Those hogs would be down in there. You'd pour the food in there and they'd never look up to see where it came from. Right? Don't be those kind of people, right? He said, when you're experiencing all these things, things you didn't do, he said, watch yourself that you don't forget who brought you from Egypt. Watch yourself that you don't forget that it was the Lord, your God, that brought you out of slavery. Hey, listen, for those of you that have been born again into the family of God, don't you forget that it was the Lord who brought us out of slavery, that it was the cross of Christ, that it was a costly deliverance, and it was God who caused us to be raised from death to life, right? And that we've been born again into the family of God, and we are to live in obedience, right? We respond in obedience and in surrender to the Lord, and we live our lives in obedience and surrender to Him. We remember all that God has done. We repeat it to our children. We rejoice in that. You know, I remember when my kids were little, right? And you get up in front and on May the 1st, we're going to have another parent-child dedication. And, and we line up up there and we commit these things. And we say, you know, I, I commit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise my child in the fear and, and discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And we think about all those things and we remember those moments and we mean well. And then if you're like me, there's a little bit of a part of that that you're going I remember when I held my, my first child the first time, and they were like this long, and I'm thinking, God has entrusted this to me. I can't even find my wallet. Like, <laughs> like this is, I'm a loser. I'm a dropper. Like, what am I going to do? God has entrusted a child to me, right? And then we hear this responsibility, like we're to, we're to train them to fear and love the Lord. And there's a little part of us that says, I'm not even really sure exactly what that looks like. Next week, I'm, I'm as excited about next week as I've been about any week for the last few years. We've been, as a staff, praying and seeking the Lord and, and working on a milestone ministry. Right? We're going to just share vision toward last week that we believe will be part of God's call for us to pour in and as a faith family to engage in raising a generation to follow Jesus, right? In passing it down. I want to encourage you just to lean in next week to be part of those kind of moments. But here's the truth. As we look toward those moments gradually in small increments, in ways that we don't even see, 
Our children are being lost day by day. They're being stolen by the enemy. I want you to understand that this is not something, the reason that it's heavy is that we hear these words and we hear this call to pour into a generation and we hear these calls to make disciples and it's very easy for us to get complacent and turn it off. It's about lunchtime. But I want you to understand that in small increments, our children are being lost day by day. They're being pulled and stolen away from our families. They're being pulled and they're being stolen away from the kingdom. And I want you to understand something. Satan is looking around and he's saying, if you're not gonna disciple them, I'll be glad to. And there's plenty of out there that'll do it. And in ways, it'll seem like it's convenience to you. Mom, dad, you'll be able to watch whatever channel you want to. You can put them in the room and give them YouTube. You can do whatever you want to. And I'll take care of them. Don't worry about it. I know you don't have time. I know that those things, you'll have time later. And many times I hear people, and I've even said, and as I've looked toward May in my life, there's changes that will be much easier. And there's times that I look and people might say, well, pastor, I hear you saying we're supposed to be in discipling relationships, but I want you to hear I've got too many irons in the fire right now. I'm too busy for those kind of things. And our inclination, right, even as, as, as a pastor and even as, as people that love Jesus, know Jesus, our inclination is to coddle that mess and to say, you know what, I understand life's pretty busy. I know you've got a lot going on. I, I understand. I mean, you'll know when the right time is. You'll, you'll, you'll be able to do it then. And we don't want to impose. And we perhaps maybe we don't want to, uh, you know, maybe our kids will just figure it out on their own. And I thank God that in his grace that God has placed people in my kids' lives and in places where I failed that there have been moments that the church has come alongside them and, and God's faithfulness has overcame and I'm so thankful for his grace but I'm going to tell you something our kids don't figure it out on their own it's not what God commands and it's time that God's people stop making excuses about doing what God has called us to do we are to be pouring into others to be poured into by others and here's the truth we either are going to be obedient to the word of God or we're not we're in a study in our uh staff and there's a concept in it that's been a little bit hard for us to swallow and it's caused us to say you know what no longer are we going to use the words I don't have time to do this or that because here's the truth every one of us the great equalizer is time and every one of us we have the same amount of time and the truth is that we will make time for what is important to us we will make time for those things that we value my seminary professor said this there will never be a good time to do God's will if you don't want to and this is the reality. This is where we're at. The commands are clear from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve to being fruitful and multiplying, multiplying this godly legacy and, and seeing a generation know and love Jesus to the first call of the disciples when Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men to the command that he gives to go into all the world and to make disciples, to, to baptize and to teach them. And then in Acts 1.8, he says, you know what? I know this is intimidated and I know you're scared to death and I know that there's no way you think you can do this and the reality is that there's no way in your own strength but then Jesus said you're going to receive power he said you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon me upon you and you will be my witnesses into Jerusalem and Judea and into the into Samaria and to the people you don't like people that are close to you people that are far from you all those kind of things and he says and you'll be my witnesses even into the ends of the earth listen we are not doing this on our own and as we worship as we begin this service we see yeah it's not I, but Christ living in us. And we need families that will rise up and say, you know what? I can't do this on my own, but I'm going to be dependent on Jesus. I'm going to be dependent on the word of God. And I'm going to schedule this thing. I I'm willing to say, you know what? I'm going to make time for the things that matter. And I'm going to open
open the word of God. We need men that'll rise up in the morning and say, you know what? As for me in my house, right? We're going to serve the Lord. As for me in my house, you can do whatever you want. You can worship the gods that they were on the other side of the flood. You can do all those kind of things. But as for me in my house, we're going to worship God. And it's going to take men that'll be intentional. That'll not just say with their lips, I want to honor Jesus. That'll not just say, you know what? I, I, I know that this is a command of God. Listen, we either are going to choose to be obedient or we will choose to be disobedient to God. And as a result, there will be a generation, right? I have two years with my daughter. I have two years starting today. I have two years with her. I have just a few more with that with my son. And I'll make a decision by what I do when I get home today and what I do when I go to bed today and the rhythms that I'll create in my life and the things that'll be important. I'll make those decisions and those decisions will impact the generation. And every person in this room, we have a choice. Will we be willing to embrace the call to pour our lives out for things that really matter, to give our lives for the call of discipleship, to give our lives for the call of pouring in to a generation so that they might know and love Jesus. And it'll start with individual obedience, with us surrendering our lives and saying, God, it is no longer me who's in charge, but it's you who's in charge. And my life will be poured out as an offering. That's what it is. It is worship and obedience. That's what it's been from the beginning as they cultivated and kept the garden. As they did those things, they were obedient and it was worship and it was obedience to God. And as we make disciples, it is worship and obedience to God, and you will find joy that is unspeakable. On Wednesday night, I see uh, some of our men that have come back in, and, and, and you know, the, the thing that used to stir my heart more than anything was when I had an opportunity to lead someone to Jesus Christ. And some of you are going, I think I need to leave now. If the pastor said that used to stir his heart. But I want to tell you, on Wednesday night, something beautiful took place. And, and, and on Wednesday night, uh, we had a young man, uh, his name's Judah Parks, who uh, was helping in teaching our fifth and sixth grade age. Judah and his family uh, united with this faith family officially just a few weeks back. Uh, Randy Tedder, who's sitting in the back row and drives from Whittier every day, uh, testified up here that morning and he said, you know what? I pass a lot of churches on the way, but I know that God wanted me here. Well, he brought his grandson on Wednesday night and Judah Parks, whose family united with our church just a few weeks ago, took the three circles and shared the good news of the gospel with Randy's grandson who surrenders his life to Christ on Wednesday night. And listen, here's what the beauty of the thing is. It's setting on fire because it wasn't me. He didn't have to come get me. He didn't have to come get Pastor Chris. He didn't have to come get those things because listen, you're not a bunch of believers with a priest. Like you have access to the very throne room of heaven and you are a... You are a priesthood of believers that live for the glory of God and at the same time on the same night another young man from the Drake Cottage was over in his small group and in his small group another young man shared the good news of the gospel with him and he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ without me without Pastor Chris and listen this should be the norm and not the exception that we should be people that are having conversations about the word of God that are living our lives for the word of God that are obedient to the word of God God Math, sharing the good news of who he is. And the question is, is will we give ourselves to the cause of Christ or will we be content to live in comfort and to live in those things and to allow a generation to fall away from the Lord? When you read in Judges, you find that, that even though Joshua stood and he said, you know what, ask for me in my house. He said, choose you this day who you will serve. But he said, as for me in my house, he said, we'll serve the Lord. But then we find in Judges, right, I believe it's Judges chapter two, that we read about a generation 
generation growing up that did not know the Lord, their God, or the goodness that's there. And the reason they didn't know it is because some people heard Deuteronomy chapter number six and the call to make disciples. And they said, you know what? I'm more interested in the grapes that I get over on the other side and the grapes and the girls and all the other things that come with the gods of those on the other side. And because of that, a generation rose up not knowing the Lord, their God. And we need to be a people that will say, not under our watch, not under our house, not under this church. We're going to make disciples and live for the glory of his name. Will you pray with me? God, we love you, Jesus. And the truth of your word is that if we love you, that we'll keep your commandments, Lord. And I pray, God, that not because of my words, but in the power of your spirit, God, that you might convict hearts in this room. God, that you might speak to our hearts, that we might leave here different than we came. God, that we might schedule the things that are important in our lives. And that we would say, you know what? Hey, if I don't get anything else done, I'm going to get that done. If there's no time for anything else in my family, I'm going to do that. If there's no time anywhere else, then to pour in. Listen, it's not just for parents. Like it's for all believers. If you're an older person in this room, God, I pray, Lord, that you might speak into them, Lord, that that they might invest in a younger person, Lord, that you might allow relationships around the word of God, Lord, to develop in these moments. God, that you might burden people's hearts. God, I pray uh, that even right now people would pray and ask you this, Lord, who do you have them to disciple? Who is it that you want them to breathe into? Maybe there's a young person in here that knows they need disciples and their prayers, Lord, who would you have me to ask to disciple me because I'm going to walk in obedience to you. Lord, we pray, God, for these moments. Lord, I pray, God, that we might respond in surrender and obedience to you. God, I pray that if there's anyone here that has never surrendered their life to you, God, that in the power of your spirit, you might draw them, God, that they might, uh, God, God, desire, Lord, uh, a relationship with you, Lord, that you might allow them, Lord, to see that there's nothing that they could do in their own lives, Lord, to be made right with you, but that in your great love, Lord, that while we were broken, while we were sinners, Lord, that you demonstrated your love toward us, that you died on the cross of Calvary, that you died in our place, and on the third day, against all odds, you rose from the grave. You defeated death. You took on all of our sin and all of our shame. We couldn't live a life good enough. We needed forgiveness of sin, but not only did we need forgiveness, we needed a righteousness that we couldn't have. And so all of our sin is placed on Jesus. And when we believe, surrender our life, the very righteousness of Christ is given to us. We're empowered by the Spirit of God. God, I pray, Lord, that there would be people in this room that would say, you know what, I, I know I can't do this on my own, but I've got a God who conquered the grave and against all odds, I'm gonna pour into my family. Against all odds, I'm gonna live for Jesus, not in my strength, but in His. Lord, we love you. Do what you want to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and worship? If we can pray for you this morning, we can pray for your family. Be obedient this morning.